Thank you for listening. This is Israel Rebound, a podcast joining listeners around the world to Israel, exploring the ties that bind us through culture, identity, and current events. I'm Alan Podash in California, and I'm joined with my co-host and friend, Liz Felstern in Jerusalem. Liz, how are you? I'm good, feeling festive as we find ourselves in this season of oh-so-many Jewish holidays. I, I believe that the rhythm of the Jewish calendar is what has kept the Jewish people connected. I kept them connected, kept them very full. You know, yes, many things have been kept by... Very full. Aren't you hungry after fasting for 25 or 26 hours for Yom Kippur? Yeah, but you have the big meal before, you have the big meal after. Even though the whole day of fasting, there's still, we managed to make it a lot about eating. So I think the sages were wise to put Yom Kippur as a fast day after Rosh Hashanah and before mm-hmm. Sukkot, because mm-hmm. you need you need to realize that uh, the stomach can't continue to grow; it has to have a little break. So Pat, so Yom Kippur is really more about uh, making sure that you've got room for more sustenance after the holidays. Yeah, they to prepare for they weren't on to intermittent fasting just then. It was like an all or nothing kind of thing. Now, later on, it was developed. Uh, yeah, I find fasting to be very interesting. I, I need to just kind of jump in on our conversation. Uh, Yom Kippur is a day you know, of reflection and deep introspection. A lot of things going on in the world today. Uh, quite a few stories about the 50-year anniversary of the Yom Kippur War. So there's a lot of a lot of attention, um, at least what I'm reading about Israel in the in the past and survival. But I also read an article in the Times of Israel and heard some news about a conflict that took place on Yom Kippur in Tel Aviv. It it, it really bothered me that you had this, uh, ex- not you, but in in Israel, this experience of. <laughs> conflict that took place during uh, an outdoor Yom Kippur service. Uh, and the, the news in America doesn't make it sound like a very positive thing. Not any conflict is positive anyway, but just the story of what took place. Uh, any insight on your side? Yeah, I think it, one would be hard-pressed to find any positive way to spin this one. Um, and I think most Israelis feel that way as well. You know, um, it's it's hard to know after something that was sort of, you know, riot slash protest slash different pockets of aggression happening in different places, exactly what the whole story was. And I think we're still learning some of that as more information becomes available. But it seems clear that there was some amount of legitimate protests um, around prayer services, public prayer services that had uh, gender separation, right, with a with a barrier dividing the men and women, because that is something that at least this year in Tel Aviv um, legally was not supposed to be allowed. Um, but you, it's not what clear. Do you, what do you mean legally? So I think there were uh, decisions made prior to this year that of uh, that public uh, separated se- separation in the public space was not going to be acceptable, even though that is the status quo. That's what the norm has always been. Um, so, so legal in the sense of the courts, but not legal in the sense of 
of Orthodox halacha in terms of prayer? No, nothing has changed in terms of Orthodox rules. Those those rules don't change so quickly. Nothing has changed there. Um, um, but what's not as clear is the extent to which that that sentiment in some cases grew to being a a broader, more sweeping anti-religious sentiment, because there have been some accounts of places even where there were mixed prayer services going on with men and women together with no separation, also being disturbed by these protesters um, who clearly had an anti-religious agenda, right? They were upset at any type of religious service taking place in the public sphere, which is very unusual in Israel. You have, we have all kinds of uh, prayers of all type going on in public all the time. Um, and so it, it is a upsetting, yeah. But so it's a gathering. It's a it was a demonstration, a protest, a rally. That's become the norm uh, with Israelis, you know, demonstrating on Saturday nights about the current government coalition and the judicial reform. And then most recently, prior to Yom Kippur in New York, uh, when Prime Minister Netanyahu was speaking before the UN, there was also a, a demonstration of of uh, a rally against his presence. So there's this. I don't. I wouldn't call it a a natural development, but the gathering of people in in opposition of somebody else has been a regular occurrence in Israel for a long time. Yes, and I would say that maybe part of the difference in this case is that, and we talked about this before, that with the protest movement in Israel over the past, I don't even remember how many months it's been at this point. Um, for the most part, the two sides of the protests have been physically separate. They've not been protesting in the same place or one sort of looking across the road at the other. Um, that that kind of interaction with two sets of people holding opposing views being in the same space, that obviously is much more likely to lead to some sort of you know, violence and the kind of altercations that we do not want to see. Um, so, so that is very different than the Saturday night protests that have been happening for months and months. I think it's also fair to say that this gathering in Tel Aviv on Yom Kippur has been going on for several years in the past, and they have had a separation of Mechitza, uh, and it's been fairly peaceful. Uh, but this year, the city of Tel Aviv said, you know, in respect to um, equality, there's no, there can't be any gender separation. So to your point, the legal part was there was a, a counter opinion that the gatherers assembled a mechitza out of Israeli flags, kind of making it a, a, a statement rather than a reality. And that kind of led to some of the disruption. But again, mm -hmm. just so people know that for years, this has been going on in Tel Aviv uh, peacefully, but this year was not so peaceful. And we could break that down uh, in future podcasts if we want to. Uh, but I think it just goes to the comment that you made that there's been a natural tendency to gather and to demonstrate uh, differences, differences of opinion uh, in Israel for a long time. Yes. I, I, and I also think that it is important to keep in mind 
you know, the goal, what was the goal of these particular Yom Kippur protesters? Was it really about equal accommodation, meaning that they wanted to participate in this same Yom Kippur religious prayer service, but they wanted to be able to do it standing next to whomever they would like, right? Where there are a whole bunch of religious men saying, I want to be at Yom Kippur services and I want to stand next to my wife. But that's that's not what this was about. It was about people being unhappy that there were religious services taking place in the in the public sphere and religious orthodox services, which I would say is, you know, uh, I would say is a less legitimate thing to protest, right? If you want to be part of it and you feel that you're not being accommodated, that's one thing. But to say that they don't have a right to be who they want to be or worship the way they want to worship because it offends you to see it. Not so sure about that. Yeah, I agree with you. I have to just share with you that um, going back into my memory last year, we talked about bicycling on Yom Kippur. So kind of a a shift from, you know, gathering and challenges to bicycling. Did you see much bicycling in the streets this Yom Kippur? Yes. Yes. And uh, actually I'll share just a, a small thing that I heard a couple of people comment on, you know, the bicycling, yes, still happens, very popular. Um, But some people who have been living in Israel longer than I have, which is pretty long, um, said that in their uh, recollection, the number of clearly religious youngsters who are riding bikes on Yom Kippur, they feel has grown considerably. Meaning that, you know, 30 years ago, none of the people that you saw riding bikes on Yom Kippur were ultra-Orthodox looking people because they wouldn't ride a bicycle on Yom Kippur. And now the crowd of people riding bicycles is quite mixed. So, uh, so that's an interesting change that that custom has actually been adopted uh, by wider and wider circle circles in Israel. That's uh, that's that's called change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and that, just a quick comment about bicycling. I also read an article where uh, there are groups of people who are trying to ride on Yom Kippur from the north as far as they can go in one day, because there aren't any cars on the highways. So mm-hmm. as a trek uh, from the north to the south on the highways. I, I could talk about bicycling for a long time because I think Israel is a great country to bicycle in. It's a very beautiful country. The drivers are so respectful of bicyclists. <laughs> That's some cute. places flatter than others. Um, I, I have to make just one um, quick comment. So for our listeners, the, you know, the 50th anniversary of the Young People War, for me, has as a, as a reminder of kind of the, the growth of my Zionism and my passion for Israel. You know, as a 13-year-old boy um, in synagogue learning of the war taking place, the war to basically to destroy Israel uh, was very uh, powerful for me. And uh, it kind of crafted my Zionism and my desire to connect with Israel. So for me, it's a landmark issue. Uh, And 50 years ago, I was 13 years old, for anybody who cares. Uh, And... uh, it really solidified my desire to have this strong passion for Israel and probably what generated my initial move to Israel uh, in my 20s. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure for, you know, many 
Israelis your age and a little bit older, it also is a huge part of their um, identity and understanding of Israel's place in the world, you know, and informs their Zionism as well. Um, I, I could dwell on, on my passion and my connection to Israel, but I really want to talk about my favorite Jewish holiday that exists every year, and that's Sukkot. And mm-hmm. anybody who's listened to this podcast since its origin, which I think we started almost two years ago, I don't have the exact date, but I think we've been doing this for a while. Um, and just remind people we're, we're listened to all over the world, and thank you for listening. We're not ending yet. I just bring that up because I think every Sukkot I talk about the power of being in Israel during, during Sukkot and seeing all the different um, sukkahs that people build, whether it's hanging off the side of their balcony on a high-rise to uh, courtyards in many of the apartment complexes where everybody puts up their sukkah. And um, I just think it's a great holiday. It's festive, um, and you're outside, and it's nice. So talk to me about yeah. your Sukkot plans. Yeah, so uh, sometimes we have talked about those many different tiny little stuck in every corner, it seems like, of the city Sukkot. But I thought that I would mention, instead of all of those many little Sukkot, two really big Sukkot that uh, I've been reading about and I hope to see um, in the next uh, week or so. Uh, One is at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel. Apparently, their Sukkah is actually uh, built indoors but under a retractable glass roof um and it was built expressly for this purpose of having the sukkah there with the ability to open and close the roof uh weather dependent and it's supposed to be quite special and attractive so uh, i hope to go see that one and report back on the waldorf astoria sukkah i'm going to break in for a second because um for anybody who's from Omaha, Nebraska, that's listening to this. And if they ever had a chance to be at the synagogue on 30th and coming, they had a room just like the one you described at um, the Waldorf Astoria, although it was not the Waldorf Astoria in Omaha, it was a synagogue. And the ceiling opened up with um, its rafters uh, and it became the sukkah. And I remember challenging one of the uh, Gabai saying, well, I thought it had to be a temporary structure. Uh-huh. Said, well, well, it is temporary, but not. we don't rebuild it every year. We just open up the the slats in the ceiling. But I was blown away. It was the first time I'd been in, in a synagogue that had a, a retractable ceiling for the sukkah. And it was, it was a really, it was a small little room, but it, it made an impression on me. So I'm only eager to learn more when you visit the Waldorf Astoria to see if it matched my little synagogue in Omaha, Nebraska. Okay, I will let you know. I am, and the uh, the second sukkah that uh, I wanted to mention is what is called the Mayor's Sukkah. Um, this is the sukkah which has been built by the Jerusalem municipality this year in the very large, um, uh, what's the word? Open space. Plaza, Plaza. Plaza. Thank you. Yes, Plaza. 
um, outside of the uh, of the mayor's office in the municipality of Jerusalem. This sukkah, apparently, uh, it's already up, but I haven't seen it, seats a whopping 650 people. And um, I'm not sure how many meals are planned to take place in this sukkah over the holiday, but there are quite a lot of concerts and activities for children, um, theater performances um, that are scheduled to, to take place. So, uh, so that's another sukkah that I hope to see and maybe be at some of those activities. The concerts are all sold out, but, uh, but some of the daytime activities, um, who are the, so the other one. who are the concerts by the concerts? Well, you know, I know, uh, I'm not a great connoisseur of Israeli music, so none of them were particularly ones that, uh, um, appeal to me we should also let people know that that the location where the um mayor sukkah is going to be or is is also the site of the book festival that takes place every year at least when i was living in israel no yeah not no no longer the book festival now for the past couple years has taken place instead at the first station oh Okay, but there, but there are big concerts. There are other things that happen in that um, plaza because it is such a large space and you know usable for for lots of different things. Um, so just so people know, uh, you can go onto any of the Israel news sites and see a picture of the what is called the world's largest sukkah. And it's the mayor's sukkah uh, and pictures from previous years. So there you, there you have it. Thank you for bringing that to our attention. Sure. I hope I will visit them and I'll, uh, I'll let you know how they, how they were. Well, if you take pictures, we'll include them in our next uh, podcast. Any other festivals going on during the week of Sukkot? I, uh, there are a lot of festivals going on. Um, Mm, there are a few. There's in the in in Karem, and then also like on Berch in our neighborhood. There are street festivals that traditionally take place every year during Cholamoy during the intermediate days of Sukkot. So those will all be happening. Um, and then because all of the schools are off and and kids are off and families are looking for things to do, basically every every museum in town will have a series of special Sukkot activities. So I've seen, you know, all different things being advertised by the Israel Museum, the Science Museum, the Begin Heritage Center, the Tower of David Museum, the uh, the Natural History Museum. So all of those places have special Sukkot activities and, and things going on. So for people planning on a trip to Israel, the time period of Sukkot is a great time to be in Israel. Sukkot is a great time weather-wise and a great time in terms of activities going on. Um, yes. Only thing it's not great for is if you want to actually get from one city to another in Israel anytime during the week of Sukkot. Traffic is a, is a bit of a hindrance, but if you can pick one city and stick with it, you're good to go. 
Thank you for sharing that. Um, we have a lot more things we could talk about, but we've used up our, our time today. Uh, but I want to end on a different travel note in that I read this morning that um, the U.S., the United States is now going to uh, provide the the visa waiver for Israelis in the coming months. So Israelis will be able to bypass a visa as they travel to America. So hmm. that doesn't concern you since you have dual citizenship, but for uh, Israelis who have to uh, get a visa to come to America, this is a, a solution for them. Yes, many Israelis will be very happy. And for the past several years, it's actually been very difficult to get a visa not so much because of the strictures around who would get approved, but to even to get an appointment. I know people have waited months and months even to make appointments to to try to get a visa. So, so I'm sure any, many people will be very happy about this. We wish people the, the ease of traveling. Um, any other thoughts on Yom Kippur or Sukkot before we sign off? Just wishing everyone a very... Happy and festive Sukkot. Enjoy your booths. <laughs> I just want to make one comment because you mentioned a couple of weeks ago that the the earthquake in Morocco impacted the etrog uh, fields, the etrog orchards. So I don't know. I've not gotten my etrog or lulav this year yet. So, uh, so here they they do have them. I haven't heard of there being a shortage here. And uh, I am scheduled, I pre-ordered mine, and I am allowed to pick it up tomorrow night, anytime between 7 and 11 p.m. So that is that's my window where I have to go pick mine up. I don't even, yeah, I have to say that it's a, a challenge for me here to find uh, Lulav and Etrog. But you can be a liberal, you know, you can find a nice looking lemon and some, you I, know, I, I do have a lemon. and I, call it a day. I do have a lemon tree, and I do have palm fronds and all those good things. So I could probably make thank my you. own. So thank you. That's I will. the California version. Don't tell any rabbis I said that. Um, I want to just thank everybody for listening to uh, Israel Rebound. It is a podcast that uh, Liz and I put, have been putting together. And we thank people for listening. And we continue to enjoy our time together. So Liz, thank you again for today. And Thanks, hugs Alan. and uh, best to your family.